if you have Bible, uh, John chapter 12 is the last section in John 12. This is the end of the public ministry of Jesus from chapter 13, which we'll start next week, God willing. We see uh, just a different approach as he speaks to his own disciples. But here we go uh, with the last study today of John 12. This is the Word of God, reading from verse 37. Even after Jesus had done all these miraculous signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet. Lord, who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason, they could not believe. Because as Isaiah says elsewhere, he has blinded their eyes and deadened their hearts so that they can neither see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts nor turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said this because he saw God's glory and spoke about him. Yet, at the same time, many, even among the leaders, believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they would not confess their faith for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue, for they loved praise from men more than praise from God. Then Jesus cried out, When a man believes in me, he does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. And when he looks at me, he sees the one who sent me. I have come into the world as a light, so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. As for the person who hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world but to save it. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. That very word which I spoke will condemn him on the last day. For I did not speak of my own accord, but the Father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. I know that his command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. And we end our reading there. Thanks, band. Once again, if you have a Bible, please again open that John 12 and verse 37. I don't know if you know what the eight laws of learning are. Does anybody know what they are? The eight laws of learning. Explanation, number one. Demonstration. Imitation. Repetition, 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 repetition. Do I need to repeat? Do you get it? John is heavy into repetition, repetition, repetition. We encounter the same themes throughout the book over and over again. Things like light and darkness. We're going to see that again today. Shepherd and sheep. Grace and truth. Birth and death. And particularly relevant today, again, belief and unbelief. Belief and unbelief. There's hardly a week goes by that there's not one of those major themes 
mentioned in our reading and therefore in our preaching, these mighty themes. And the temptation is when we think today again about believing and unbelieving, you're possibly tempted to say, here we go again. (laughs) Can you not change the record? I've heard that sermon before. Is there anything new? Well, there's reason for John's repetition, repetition, repetition. These themes are vitally important, and we're supposed to listen and learn. The problem is we're slow to listen, and we're slow to learn. And I suppose the way we want to approach it this morning is this. I mean, what if we, what if we don't listen and learn? I mean, what if we uh, do not believe and receive? What if we what happens if, we, if we're not rescued and saved? Well, it's utterly tragic, isn't it? Eternally tragic. But why? Why does this happen? I mean, why is it that some believe and some do not? The Word today tells us why. But let's think in our introduction about some of the great themes of John's gospel that we've looked at over these months. Uh, Jesus said, you must be born again. And I think we know that there are many out there around us, and some even here within us, who are not born again. Why? Why is that the case? And what will happen to those who are not born again? Jesus said, whoever believes in me will have eternal life. Well, I think we know that there are many in society around us, and even some among us today, who do not believe in that way, and therefore do not have eternal life. Why? Why does that happen? And what will be the results? I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And yet there are many out there, and even some in here, who are going to die without the hope of the resurrection and the life. Why? Why does that happen? Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Many out there, some in here, are still groping around in the darkness. Why? And what will happen? Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am the living water. Many out there, even some in here, and what we're doing is we're content with the putrid, rotten food of the world. We're we're content with the stinking water of the world. Why? Why? Maybe you can see why John repeats himself repeats himself, repeats himself, because it can happen here among us. It can happen within us, young or old, really makes no difference whether you're a radical dude or a traditionalist, whether you're a teenage girl wanting to be free, 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 or you are a bored middle-aged man wanting some kind of satisfaction in your midlife crisis. It doesn't make any difference. It can happen 
to you, it can happen to me, belief or unbelief. Why? And what happens? Kevin DeYoung helpfully and rightly points out that um, we marvel and surprised by belief when people believe. Now, we're having Christianity explored, and we're, we trust that many will believe this uh, at the end of the process, and we will be, ah, oh, surprise, surprise. But actually, the Bible is surprised, surprised by unbelief. When people do not believe, I wonder today as we meet, is there someone in your life, it might be your spouse sitting beside you this morning, it might be your parent, or it might be your child, or it might be your friend, or it might be your minister, and they, are, they continually marvel. <laughs> They're baffled. By your unbelief. They're baffled by your unbelief. Because you've heard so much, and you've witnessed so much, and you've had so many privileges, and still, it's unbelief. Or maybe that person you're witnessing to, and you've been praying for, that friend, that relative, and you've been doing it for, oh, it seems like decades, and there's no belief, there's not there's not even a spiritual pulse. There's nothing. Why? And what will happen? See, John says, you know what? I, um, I saw it all. I was a witness. I believe, and I wrote it all down under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit for your benefit. And I urge you to believe. That's what he's saying here. I urge you to believe, and listen to this, and I'm going to explain to you why you don't believe if that's the case. I'm going to explain to you why you don't believe if that is the case in your heart today. Painful thinking, I know, because I ask the question, why, why, there's no such thing as a good person because we're all bad, but there's some nice bad people, aren't there? Nice people? Why are there so many nice people who are not saved? Why are there so many religious people not saved? And maybe you're thinking, yeah, I, I, I can think of my children. I can think of my friends. I can think of my parents. I can think of my friendship circle. And there are so many nice people, but, but they're not saved. And I suppose we could say, well, Jesus was prophet, priest, and king of the people of Israel and so many, many, many of his own people did not believe. Why? So in chapter 12, we have the final address to the Jewish people and the Jewish leaders in particular. And we ended last week, and John took us to verse 36. And here we have this tender appeal from Jesus. Jesus said, told them, you're going to have the light just a, a little while longer. Walk while you have the light because darkness overtakes you. The man who walks in the dark does not know where he's going. Put your trust in the light while you have it so that you may become sons of light. 
And that was it. When he had finished speaking, Jesus left and hid himself from them. And what we have in verse 37 to 43 is John's explanation, like his commentary on why people don't believe. And that's what we want to look at. First of all, most of our time on this, and then a little bit on the last section about why people believe or how people believe. So, we're thinking of unbelief, 37 to 43, his, his explanation of, of what had happened back in Jesus' day, what still happens today, what will happen in the future in the hearts of unbelief out there, in here. This applies to people who do not believe. Why do people not believe? Well, the first thing that John says is they ignore the evidence, verse 37. They ignore the evidence. Even after Jesus had done all these miraculous signs in their presence, they still not would believe in Him. They still would not believe in Him. As we thought about the signs, uh, they point to something, or in this case, someone, Jesus being the Lord, being God, signs pointing to the fact of who He really was. And we've seen about in all the situations of life, you know, the, the hunger and, and the blindness and the disease and, and the death and the sin, all of it, he's, he's Lord over it all. All these miraculous signs, but of course, if you've been following us, you'll know that. How many did John give us? Just seven. Just, I mean, there, there could well have been 777 but just seven signs to point to who he was in the presence of the people, and they still would not believe in him, despite the evidence. You getting the point? You see, Jesus did not ask them, as he does not ask us, to believe in something he's not provided ample evidence for, ample evidence for. Do you know what Jesus has given you? Because he created you in his image. Eyes to see, ears to hear, minds to think, and on top of all of that, sufficient evidence to believe. But many don't. And by the way, moms and dads, that's why some covenant children don't believe. Painful it is for you to hear this. You brought them to baptism, you raised them in the faith, and um, they don't believe. And some of them become rebels, some of them become religious rebels, but despite all the evidence, they don't believe. It's painful, isn't it? Why? Well, Romans 1 explains why. You want some afternoon reading before you come to the big afternoon in at 4 o'clock? Paul explains what happens in our hearts when we don't believe. What happens in our hearts when we ignore the plain, obvious evidence before us. We suppress the truth. That's the expression he uses. We suppress the truth. 
That means we stamp on it with our feet. It's there and we stamp on it. We pull it down. We crunch it together. We stick it in the bin. We ignore it. We extinguish it. The evidence is clear. It's all around us. But we will not have it. We suppress it. And besides that, Paul says in Romans 1, we create substitutes in place of Jesus. Idols. Oh, they're beaming and gleaming idols. But determined, resolute unbelief comes because we don't want to see or believe the evidence. A little word to those of you who are younger, and we're so pleased and privileged to have you in church again this morning. I say to those of you who are young, you know, in your teens, maybe early 20s, preparing for life, beware of Satan's attack because the world, the flesh, and the devil, this unholy trinity, wants you. The world, the flesh, and the devil, they're targeting you. They're seducing you with all kinds of diversions. It can be academic achievements. It can be sporting success. It can be freedom, freedom to do your thing. And what if you get it, you know? What if you get that high-paying job? What if you get that sporting success? What if you have the freedom to investigate all the sin of the world and yet you lose your soul. What is the point? Jesus said, even if you gain the whole world and yet lose your soul, what is the point? And I say to parents of, of our young people, be very, very careful what you want for your children, what you want for their children, because it could lead them into a path of rebellion and idolatry and ultimately lostness. You see, we do reap what we sow, and if we sow substitutes for Jesus, or substitutes for the gospel, then we will reap unbelief and idolatry. Please don't be offended by what I've just said. And don't be even dismayed, but be vigilant and lead your children in the ways of the things of God. The evidence is all around us in creation, in the Word of God, in the Lord Jesus Christ, even in the work of the church, there is enough evidence. Believe. The second reason why we don't believe or people don't believe is we ignore the warnings that are given to us by God, and that's dealt with in 38 to 41. Many, many, many who belong to God's people, the Jews did not believe. And so John picks Isaiah as an example. Let's listen to these words. This, is, this was to fulfill, you know, the not believing, this was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet, Lord, who had believed the message, uh, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed. For this reason, they could not believe, because as Isaiah says elsewhere, he has blinded their eyes and deadened their hearts, so that they can neither see with their eyes, nor understand with their hearts, nor turn and I would heal them. Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. 
Isaiah 53 verse 1 is, is what is quoted there in verse 38. The arm of the Lord. Let's just pick that little word, for instance. That means power or might. And here's what happened. Back in Isaiah's day, the people saw and witnessed and benefited from the, the power and might of God, and they still did not believe. You see, God is pure in His actions and awesome in His power, and He will not be treated lightly or casually or frivolously. If or when people do this, God will harden their hearts. That's what He's saying in 39 and 40. It's an act of judgment. For this reason, they could not believe, because as Isaiah said elsewhere, He has blinded their eyes and deadened their hearts so that they can neither see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts nor turn, and I would heal them. And you might say, whoa, um, I never thought of God that way. I never thought of God that way. Well, you should, because that's who he is. And here's just a little thing I need to say. Sometimes I say it every so often. I need to say it again now, I think. We forget, I think, sometimes, even as Christians, that we are made in the image of God, not that we make God in our image. And it's a very dangerous thing to say, this is how I like to think of God. Or, this is how I think God should act. Or, this is how I measure the fairness of God. Because that's not up to us. He is who He is. He's an amazing sovereign God, and He will not be trifled with. And if we harden our hearts against Him, then He will judge us by hardening our hearts. We're starting Exodus tonight, and I think if you know that story, you will know that when we get to it, Pharaoh, well, we're going to read that Pharaoh hardened his heart. He does that a number of times. And then we're going to read that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. It's called judicial or judicial hardening, where God hardens the heart of those who will reject Him. In other words, people get what they want. Isaiah 6, that's where verse 40 comes from. It's what we began our service with. And it's the passage that Jesus quoted and Paul quoted to explain unbelief. Now, if you want to, again, do some homework, Matthew 13, verse 14, Mark 4, verse 12, Luke 8, verse 10, Acts 28, verse 24, as well as John 12, verse 40. Isaiah warned and predicted that this was the way people would respond. And in Jesus' day, instead of listening to what Isaiah had warned, they hardened their hearts. They rejected the warning. As Kevin DeYoung says, their hearts are hard, and God has given them over to their hard hearts. Now, this is not election or predestination, although it is close to it and leads to it. There are other passages for election and predestination in John's Gospel and Romans and the Peter and Ephesians, the pastoral epistle all over the Bible, in fact. But this is judicial hardening, hardening your heart, and you will be judged. And it goes a wee bit like this. God says to us, do you want darkness? 
And people say, yeah, in fact, I think I do want darkness. God says, then have darkness. Or God says, so you want rebellion? And we say, yeah, I want to be a bit of a rebel. And God says, then you can be a rebel. Or God says, so you want not to believe? You say, yeah, kind of fancy not believing. And God says, okay. You suppress the truth. I will give you over, which is another phrase from Romans 1. That's why being in church can be a very dangerous place. You can be saved by the truth of Jesus Christ, or you can become inoculated or vaccinated from the real thing by a little bit of religion. Now, we've got to be careful here because God will never reject repentant believers. He will never reject repentant believers, but He will harden the hearts of unrepentant unbelievers. And that's the difference. So if you are an unrepentant unbeliever and you keep on saying no to the gospel, then yeah, God will give you over to that. Remember Isaiah, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Isaiah said, here I, I, am I, send me. And do you know what Isaiah did? Well, read the book. He preached his heart out. And yet the people continued in their unbelief. And yet through his preaching, God said, yeah, they will reject you, and I will harden their hearts because of that as an act of judgment. And notice verse 41, Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. So why do people not believe? Because they ignore the warnings that God gave through Isaiah and Pharaoh and many other parts of the Bible. Lastly, why do people not believe? Because they ignore true glory and praise, verse 42 and verse 43. Let me deal with this a wee bit faster. Um, Aaron shared what this really means. They, they just wanted to please people. Please themselves and please people. Yet at that time, many, even among the leaders, believed in him, believed. I think we need to take with quotations around it. But because of the Pharisees, they would not confess their faith for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved praise from men more than praise from God. Do you know Romans 10 verse 9? If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So belief is crucial confession is crucial. Here's what Calvin says, can anything be more foolish, or rather, can anything be more beastly than to prefer the silly applause of man to the judgment of God? Verse 43, for they loved praise from men more than praise from God. If we put people before God, then we are in deep trouble. Here's three reasons why the people of Jesus' day did not believe in him. They ignored the evidence, they ignored the warnings, and they ignored true glory or true praise. And we've got to be very careful we don't fall into the same trap. And God graciously calls us to himself so that we won't. But what about belief? Let me deal with this 
quickly. Basically, I suppose we might say, as one final call to Israel, one final call to his people, Jesus says, choose life, choose life. Verse 44, then Jesus cried out, when a man believes in me, he does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. This last little section is basically a summary of all the teaching of Jesus on this subject. And I suppose kind of three things, very quickly. When, who, and why? When? Well, when, now, now. Because I see that in the sense of urgency that verse 44 um, states or implies. Then Jesus, did Jesus whisper it? Did Jesus kind of mumble it? No, he cried out. When a man believes in me, he does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. Jesus speaks, we should listen. When Jesus cries out, we should really listen. Um, It's like verily, verily, or truly, truly. This is very important. Last time we, we looked at chapter 11, verse 43, Jesus cried in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Well, here he's saying something equally important. People believe now. There's a sense of urgency. So it wasn't a kind of a a weak appeal, not a kind of soft suggestion, not kind of a, well, do you know what? If you're so inclined, if you're kind of these religious people and you kind of like me, then maybe you should choose me. Or um, if you have nothing better to do with your life, why don't you choose me? No. He cries out, believe. That's the when. What about the who? Well, you'll notice the word that dominates verse 44 and 45. Me, 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 me. Five times. Jesus, in other words. Jesus, in other words. Not religion, not self, not church. As Jesus said elsewhere, the wise man built his house upon the rock. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. We've got to read and understand and listen and comprehend and then do the gospel. Believe and believe in me. So if you're still in the unbelief part of your life and you're wondering and thinking what's happening, well then, now, today, with a sense of urgency, believe in Jesus. And if you want to know more about that, then talk to any of us afterwards. We'll be happy to help you. Why? Verses 46 to 50. Well, two things for now and then for later, because he brings us out of darkness. Verse 46. I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. Light for minds, light for our living, light for our relationships, so we move from darkness into light. Beautiful, isn't it? And then delivered from judgment later on. Jesus says, you know, in verse 47, I'm not, I'm not going to judge now, but one day I, I will. The Father will send me to judge the living and the dead on that final day. And therefore, we should live with a final day mindset. Verse 47, yes, I come to save Verse 48, but one day there will be judgment. We will be held to account. We will have to answer on that day. 
So this was the final appeal to the Jews. The final appeal to God's people. The final appeal to the public. Would they believe or would they not believe? Imagine, just, just imagine, this play, imagine. Imagine this is your last opportunity to hear the gospel, the last opportunity to respond to the gospel. Do you believe? Or is it unbelief? That changes everything, doesn't it? Changes the way we think about life and evangelism and discipleship and church. Changes the way we look at our friends and our loved ones. Belief, unbelief. Remember, at the end of verse 36, Jesus left and hid himself from them. This is the end of the public ministry. And we don't know when we will face our end or our last opportunity. So choose and choose wisely. As ever, we know the Holy Spirit will do His work. But if you need any help discerning what that might be, then talk to us over to your coffee. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for speaking to us. And as we go from this place, may we go knowing why we believe and why we have turned from unbelief, if that is the situation. And may we go inspired in the way we live and in the way we evangelize. For your glory, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.